Hello, I'm Mel, one half of the team of Mahogany Mammalogy, an online dialogue pertaining to the concerns and carefree parenting of Black motherhood. This week, our episode is a live podcast taping at the Motivated Mom Retreat 2019. Due to some technical difficulties, you will experience some noise feedback during the episode. Please see our show notes for questions we have asked. And as always, we ask that you rate and review this and other episodes and continue the conversation through our listener comments and questions. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Or you can email us at mahoganymomology at gmail.com. Until next time, we thank you for listening to Mahogany Mammology. Bye-bye. And we welcome you to our live episode at the Motivated Mom Retreat 2019. This episode, this live episode, is sponsored um, by Prudential as well as Blue Cross Blue Shield. And now, on to the show. So, moms, good morning. Can you talk? Finances. As long as I feel like I'm in that conversation, I don't need to be involved. Right? Okay. So it becomes a little bit when you are a budding entrepreneur because you have to constantly try to shift finances, especially if you're in the initial stages of it. So I feel like when I was doing some research, we found that one in ten African Americans work with a financial
brand affinity among women as well as diverse markets. You know, she's received a multitude and several distinct honors and awards for her marketing, community, and corporate service. Most recently, in 2018, she was named one of the 25 African American leaders making a difference in New Jersey. Welcome to our show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, as Tosh loves to say on our show, let's dive right on into it. We talked a little bit about financials. So, what are like two financial products that marketers or a mom really need to go ahead and start working on or should have in their portfolio or do? So, what I would say before you even start thinking about products, you need to have a financial strategy. Because one of the big things that hold us back as African Americans, particularly African American women, is that we don't have a financial, long-term financial strategy. And that is what's preventing us from building wealth as a community. Um, so the first thing you need to do is have a strategy, set goals for what you want to accomplish with your finances and by the way. And then you need to work with a financial professional to help you achieve those goals, to show you what you can cut, you know, what you can save, a lot of us are in debt, so how do we pay up our debt faster without, you know, paying all that interest? So having a strategy, and one of the things that I love, because I'm a big proponent of us focusing on the wealth gap in this country, because it's estimated by 2030 that we're going to have zero wealth. Even though black women are becoming the most highly edu educated demographic in this country. Zero wealth, meaning we will have no assets. Right, so we're generating income, but we don't have any assets to show for it, yet we're fueling 50, I think the number is $50 trillion in the beauty industry, $28 trillion in fast food industry. You know, where is that money in our pockets? Where are our assets for our children and our children's children? So it's really important that we have a strategy. I'm a big proponent of um, Robert Kawasaki, I think he is, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And he has this quadrant where he talks about how wealthy people become wealthy. And I've learned this, that when you're, when you're an e employer, right, when you're an employee, you should be really focusing on any investment that that company is making in you and saving and taking as many resources that that company is giving you to get to the e entrepreneur, right? And then when you, once you become a successful entrepreneur, scaling your business, that you can hire within your communities. So it gives you the freedom to do other things and invest. And then become on the eye of the spectrum, which is investor, and having a seven, um, and seven streams of income where your money's working for you and you're not working for your money. Yes, and that doesn't mean seven jobs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think, you know, you know I'm trying to, you mentioned um, basically such a discrepancy in the, our assets versus what we spend. I'm trying to figure out why, why do we have such a, such a discrepancy? What do you think? I think maybe we're, as black women, we are very much in the survival mode. So we're constantly, if we have kids, you know, like I said, probably they also put their kids first, we're putting this first. You know, why do you think that is? I think it's um, been generationally, we've been conditioned, we've been, you know, for lack of a better word, programmed by marketing and advertising, or marketing and advertising, right? That, you know, the more we look good or we need to have this, right, particular product or fashion bag or whatever, and then we 
we develop poor money habits, right? You think about our great grandmother's generation, if they wanted to dress at a department store, they put it on Iowa and they didn't have credit cards. They put it on Iowa until they were able to, to buy it. But we become such a, a credit reliant um, society. And then we put ourselves in a hole. And then I also think that the boomer generation and Gen X did um, money was a disservice because we told them get your education by all means necessary. But we did not teach them how to manage and create a strategy so they can go to school debt-free. And so now our children are suffering with this massive credit card debt. And you know, it's really preventing them to have a foot forward with their peers and other races. As you speak about investment and uh, in essence, you mentioned one of the biggest mistakes about when we make with money is that we don't talk about finances. You might expand the concept, but what did you mean in that concept? That's our biggest mistake. Because we treat money as if it's taboo, um, and we, if we're not educated about certain topics around money, then we don't want to talk about it. Um, and then we carry a shame if we feel like we don't have enough. Or we don't feel like we should we should be um, at a certain point in our lives, and so we just don't talk about it. We need to get over the stigmas around money, around shame, and start holding one another accountable. You know, I love that I was at an event, uh, MC Lights event, the Wild Conference, and these two women got up and talked about how they were able to save fifty thousand dollars between them in two years by holding each other accountable. They sent each other their bank statements every month. And because they were best friends, one said, I could tell that something was going on in her life because she spent like money that she should love and she was going through, you know, marital problems and was, you know, kind of divorce. So just holding people, you know, holding one another accountable. Just like we talk about everything else. We talk about our kids, we talk about our comic we talk about vacation. And we spend more time strategizing about some of those things then about strategizing for our financial future. But we just need to change our behavior and mindset around that and put our financial freedom ahead of the material things, ahead of the shame, ahead of anything else that's stopping us from living our best lives financially. How do you know that audience have become really important? Are you guys? I was going to say, are you guys open and very transparent with your partner regarding finances and how much you spend or your spending habits? Yeah. Some of y'all look right now, yeah, I bet y'all can do this That's okay, I'm going to write it down after the session. Okay, those guys can have to talk to It's vulnerable, you have to be very transparent, you have to be very comfortable with yourself to or have that belief that, you know, I don't care what they have to say in the long run, what are you know, I'm trying to make the situation better. I recently transitioned out of my corporate job, and I have three years of savings that will, get, that will let me maintain my lifestyle. So I'm at a point, me and my husband, do we need to reduce our standard of living in terms of the things that we want to become accustomed to? in order to stretch that out maybe for five years so that I'm able to replace the income that I made from hopefully so fast, the income I made from And you raise a good point. Right as you're saying that, the 
know, do we have to change our lifestyle? And I think maybe people, <laughs> you know, we have to come to that harsh reality. Like, you know, we are accustomed to living a certain lifestyle, whatever. And not, you know, if you if you downgrade, that doesn't necessarily mean that you know you need to be, I guess, living like, you know, just four walls and nothing in there. You know what I mean? Like, you can reduce it, but still, you know. Yeah, we have to get over the jobs and travel. Yeah. yeah. We don't have to have everything that our friend has or our relative has. You know, we need to think about our own priorities and what's going to make sense for us long term. So we have to sacrifice now so we don't have to sacrifice 10 years from now. I'd rather do that. I'd rather live my best life whilst my kids are growing and trying on now. And I don't have all that other responsibility and I can focus on, on me. So I'd rather sacrifice early so that I can have what I need when I'm older. And that's really important for us as women because we're living longer in this part than our partners. And if you know, it's estimated that now we're probably going to live to be 100. And so we have that old standard of thinking that we can retire when we're 55 and live our best life. Well, you still have another 45 years to live, and how are you going to pay for it? <laughs> right? And so that's where the product stuff comes in when you work with the financial advisor because you do need life insurance. Some life insurance, you know, has an investment um, component where you can pull money out of it. Um, but at the very least, you need life insurance because if you're a mom, you need to make sure that your children are going to be taken care of. Right? And annuities. A lot of us don't, you know, we're skeptical about annuities, but that gives you guaranteed income in retirement. So learning about all those things and what works for you, and everyone has their own unique financial situation, which is why you need to work with financial Expanding on that, is why are women a little hesitant to really dive in or lean into investments and in the stock market and that sort of thing? Um, I think what research has shown is this women are just naturally more risk adverse. Um, so we see that as risky, but more and more women are investing. Um, there's this huge um, generational um, shift of wealth among women, but unfortunately it's not among black women, right? White women are inheriting, you know, generational wealth through trust and life insurance and all those things. We need to establish a pattern where we're able to help generations establish that. And the reason why I think we're, we're risk averse is because we're scared. You know, you look at the Bernie Madoff situations, and we don't know who to trust with our money. Historically, um, you know, the black community, the Latinx community, we're the ones that get burned with the housing prices and, you know, redlining and interest rates, even though we have the same credit scores. So there's just a lack of trust here. But we have to get over that. We have to find people that we trust, that we can work with. And monitor our money. Just don't give it to the financial person and, and say, okay, you manage it. You know, every quarter you look at what's going on. Am I generating interest? How is my money compounding? Is this working? You know, you have some accountability. What do you recommend that our moms or people that carry on the financial system? Or maybe even help create some generational terms of what can they do today in the the biggest thing you can do is educate yourself as to why we have these financial barriers. And 
you know, for me, it's all it's all about the systemic racism in this country that has set us back. So no matter how much we progress with education, you know, our children still don't have the same um, this, this equal rights as their white white peers. You see, um, black children, especially black girls, getting arrested in the school system six times more than their white counterparts um, because they may have a, a, a disability or some type of um, challenge. And instead of them getting um, rehab services or location services, wherever they need, they're offered jail, right? And so we need to look at all of the issues that are impacting us long term and impacting our children and work to help figure out ways that we can break the cycle. And the fact that we spent $28 trillion on fast food is crazy. All those chocolate eaters. BET and the Black um, did an important where we spent our money. And we spent our money on luxury cars, fast food, um, entertainment, and of course, Black women carry the beauty industry. Well, generally speaking, we carry the consumer industry. Yeah. You know, like, things are not popular or popular. told that we're not beautiful the way we are in our skin, in our natural hair. Um, you know, that we're constantly looking for other ways to be beautiful. And so we're spending money on things that don't necessarily help fix what's broken within and the mindset that we've been trained that we're not enough as the beautiful black woman that we are. Right? And you know, I was at a, uh, an event a couple of weeks ago and Eva was on the stage. You were at least big point. He said, in American society, the greatest export has been African-American and Latinx culture. But what do we have to show for it? When you look at the cotton industry, we didn't make one dime on the cotton industry that we built on our backs, right? When you look at the lottery system, when we were making money off the numbers in our neighborhoods, they utilized lottery to take that away from us. When you look at the fact that we couldn't get health care, and access to medicine, and we have to use marijuana right, to to care for our pain. Right? Now they're legalizing the marijuana here. They're legalizing the marijuana industry and regulating it to the point where we're going to be cut out. Everything that we try to benefit from, we get cut out. So it's time that we become aware. It's time that we stop asking for a seat at the table that we own our tables and that we build our businesses and we are responsible for our economic growth. We can no longer depend on someone to give it to us. Let's 
perception about black people in general, so that we're not smart, that we can't build a business, that we're incapable. I think that's the perception, and it's why we can't get access to capital. We can get a school loan faster, we can get a business loan that will help us generate income and help us to sustain our families. And so I think that's the perception that's holding us back. And as a community, I don't know if you guys have heard of Bill Clark. He's a black lawyer who started out buying McDonald's franchises and now he's the head of the Chrysler Alliance. And he talked about when he went to buy his first McDonald's, he needed a $5,000 loan. And he went to his family to get it. And they just laughed at him and wouldn't give it to him. But then when he got arrested, they were able to get the $5,000 to bail him out. Right, so we need to change our mindset, start pulling our money together, investing in our firm ourselves and our businesses. We are certainly capable. Every job we have, we are exceeding expectations because we know we have to work twice as hard. If we can work, work twice as hard for white corporate America, why can't we do it on our black business?
So that's where I'm really focusing on my work. Um, professionally, because it's my passion for me, and I feel like I have an application. But we all have an application to make a better culture. Do we have a question from the Sure that we have a plan to figure out how to pay for that. And 
when my youngest son was young, I remember he said, Mommy, you wanted some sneaker or something. And I said, Baby, I have money for it. And he said, well, Just throw that machine with the money out. <laughs> and I realized that he didn't have a good understanding. Like, he just thought that he was going to pay the money to come out. He put money in. And so we started bringing our kids to the table and going through all the expenses so they, they could see, you know, more than just $20,000. But, you know, Yes, and if you build six hundred dollars, work those two hundred dollars, they can see where the money's coming in. I mean, where the money's going, and so they have that appreciation by everything that we need. And I have people, and I have roads in the field. I have the sunset. So that that does that mean that I'm getting a bigger allowance? And I was like, oh, baby, that means mommy's getting the big salary, but you still have more people. It's right here, so you know. Because quite frankly, I think sometimes we get tired 
and our cake is broken, and we need to To add to your question, and I can answer it, my suggestion would be go and do workshops. But sometimes it's going to be different. As long as it's not going to go to lavish, fantastic retreats. So sometimes we have to go into the community and be a vendor, be a speaker, it's boots on the ground. And also to leverage the other women in here who, hey, let's get all get together and go do something. One hour, two hours on a Saturday. There's a number of great churches um, that host different events. And I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm going to say I'm going to be tonight. And one of the best things we can do is be a role model. In these lives, yeah. Other questions? I think we have room for one more question. Okay, my question was going back to the children. I did not grow up, you know, I grew up with working class parents, and my kids are the way of love that I love. One of the challenges that my husband and I have is keeping them um, grounded as far as money is concerned and having the same ethical routine that we have. Um, and it's, it's not like, you know, there are kids at your school that don't have that. Everybody in their school has the same thing. Every, all the kids have, you know, the latest iPhone, the latest shoes, the latest this and that. And we do the whole, you know, chores and get paid and things. But I really want them to have a true understanding of how hard it really is to acquire and get to the levels that we have as their parents. And it's just, there's a big gap there for us trying to help them understand that because what they see on social media, what they see in you know all the environments around them, and then they live in an environment where that's fostered for them. So how do I you know bridge that gap for them and help them understand they're not poor kids? And taking them to a you know homeless shelter is not relatable to them. It's not, and I have my husband grew up poor, so he's always like trying to you know they need to do this, they need to do that, and I'm like this is the way they've always lived. So those things is, it's not relatable. You know, it, it, it's just an environment they go in and come out of, and they have compassion, but as far as money is concerned, there's not the equitable for them. And I think I remember the first time I noticed that we were driving down from Dallas. There were people sitting waiting for the bus. And this is the first time I was like, oh my God. Um, and my daughter said, well, why are those people sitting there? And I said, waiting for the bus. And she was like, everybody doesn't have a car? And I was like, no, we have to pay for a car. She was like, what? You know, and I was like, yes, cars cost money. And we had that whole conversation. But again, there's just a gap there. So help me with that. So a couple things I was saying. I would um, try to get them to follow people that they could relate to. So a lot of young people were following them to see how some people in the past I was following them to. Um, people could relate to his story because they could relate to him and what he was trying to do for the community. So um, having follow people, uh, you know, young millennials or Gen Zers who are focused on wealth building and, and money. There's so many influencers out there. But in terms of them seeing outside of their for lack of a better word, the box that they're in. I would think about family vacations, doing a missionary trip in another country so they could see 
other people um, who don't even have water, let alone a car. Um, so they get the reality check that they're, they, they live a blessed life, right? And, and, and it's, but it's not the reality for everybody. Um, you know, not, not everybody in America, let alone globally. So I think giving them experiences where they can see that the way they live is a privilege. Um, and also educating them about the history, um, similar to Prudential's video last night on Legacy, I think that's excellent. To see, you know, 15 years after slavery, blacks had amassed millions of dollars in Freedman's Bank and understand how that was taken away from us. And every generation where we built wealth, how it was taken away. And how laws were designed and systems were designed to keep us oppressed. Because the one thing you don't want is for them to get out of college and then be hit with the reality check that it's not going to come easy just because they're black. Oh, wait, hold on, hold on before you see your comment, because they're bringing the microphone. Just a comment. Um, she was talking about the fact that her children didn't really pay for a car or things like that. Um, children have to be exposed. My grandchildren. They are privileged and they know they're, you know, they have. But one of the things that my son Chris tells his kids, you're not rich, I'm rich. <laughs> um, whatever they get, they have to work for it. Now my granddaughters, they go to Ecuador, they go, they work for Habitat for Humanity, um, they take food for the homeless. We make sure that they know that living in Alpine, New Jersey is their reality, but that there is an, an alternative, and you're still a part of that. You may be Lola Rock, but you're still a black girl, and you're still a black woman going to a black woman that's going to be aware of everybody. And that way, we can, we, you have to teach them to be able to walk in any circumstances. So to say that, you know, I live this way and you live that way. One thing I do love about Oprah Winfrey is that she can walk in your house or anybody's house and sit down and have coffee like she was loudly in her house. And you have to be that person. So that's a teachable moment for you. That any time God gives you those moments, you teach. You teach because that's your responsibility as a mom to teach. And you started when they're little. Because some kids go to school and they have this type of speaker and the other has on speakers from Walmart. It makes no difference. They're speakers, they cover your feet, they all do the same damn thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's my favorite answer to my son. No. Each one of my sons, when they were like 13 years old, 
my husband took them out and told my neighbors, if you got little messages to be broke up or whatever, Chris Rock, Andre Rock, and Tony Rock will do it for you. And that's what they did. And Chris says right now, if he had to go back and bust tables at one walk, he's okay. And he really is. Because all of this is just stuff. It's not what's here. It's what is inside you. So, you have to teach people more. And yes, people pay for cars. And everybody doesn't have a car. And maybe you need to put them on the bus sometimes. It's so simple. Let them ride the bus. Let them ride the bus. The same way my husband used to do this early on with my kids. He would ride us out to Seaford Long Island on a Sunday. We lived in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn. He would ride us out to Seaford Long Island. And he would tell my sons, look at all of these houses. You can have any one of these houses, but you have to work for them. There is no reason you can't have anything you see, but you have to work for them. And that's how you break them up. That's how you make them know that anything is possible. Yeah, that is a good point because for my kids, you know, they were used to being driven around, but when, when, you know, once they turned 17 and got their license, I'm like, you raise half of the money and we'll match. Right? And so they had to, to Rose's point, they had to catch the bus back and forth. And that was the, the, they were incentivized to work harder to save. Now they all have cars and good, but you know, it was those lessons that they had to be taught. And if anything, I wish when I was younger that, to your point, um, my family actually brought me to the table when they were paying bills so that they had to understand and like, okay, every week, you know, this is what we're, you know, divvying out and stuff like that. You know, when I worked in corporate America, we uh, sponsored a boulet event. And you know, there's uh, a fraternity with all well-to-do black men. And we asked the question, how many of you have sent your children at the table with you and going to finances? And then two raised their hand. It was like over 800 men. Yeah, so we're not educating our, our kids. And when you look at those kids who do receive inheritance, I think it's like 89% scholarship within five years. You know what I'm saying? So we need to, to be better at, at helping our kids understand how money works and what to value. Because you don't, money is a tool, but it doesn't provide you happiness and it's not something that, you know, you should idolize. You know what I mean? Money is a means to an end and, and it serves a purpose.
Thank you, ladies. Good morning, everyone. Friends, we haven't met yet. 